why would you want to build an FTP server? And then Rust. And then suddenly, it kind of like clicks together and then like, oh yeah, of course. Well, we can do Rust, <laughs> yes, I'll go. This uh, something that is missing for the cloud. When you need to FTP, but you don't want to. So I would want Rust to have a good FTP implementation and that'd be lovely if that's our implementation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Ball.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you, peeking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Ball.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers. Okay, welcome. Yeah, sometimes I must admit, I'm a little dazzled by all the languages, frameworks, and other stuff our engineers use and I discuss with them. So when our guest, or at least one of our guests of today, explained to me the intriguing aspect of the language we will be discussing in this episode, I had to stretch my mind a little, or maybe just more than a little. Okay, I managed, I could follow his explanation, and I found a great topic for this podcast. Yeah, cool. So the language we are going to talk about is Rust. Uh, so it might be a stretch uh, for me as well. And uh, and it's Rust in combination uh, with uh, with FTP. And actually, FTP is uh, one of the uh, items that uh, in my previous role in Bullet.com, uh, engineering manager for the, the team I work with, it was in uh, what we call our OPEX. So uh, the team was doing the, the maintenance on it and uh, really want to get rid of, uh, of FTP. And back then, the, yeah, some initiatives popped up to, uh, yeah, to get it uh, replaced with, well, this project actually. So I'm, I'm really curious uh, nowadays what the, what the status is. So, yeah, time to introduce the guests, Peter Paul, and ask them everything about it. Of course, yeah, we have two specialists in the field. So we have uh, Hannes de Jager, software engineer for the retailable.com, the retail on our platform. We have uh, Rob Klein Kunwin. Yeah, he's a, a systems engineer, extraordinaire. We called him in the last uh, episode that he was uh, with us. So yeah, he can't have become less than that, right? So uh, he's here again, uh, and he's a site reliability engineer going as well. So uh, yeah, he was on the previous uh, podcast about uh, SRE. So yeah, gents, I I'd like to know from you. Yeah, when was your first encounter with Rust, and when did you? And what did you like about it or dislike about it? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for uh, the introduction and being on the show. It's quite an honor. Um, Yeah, Rust, I guess, for me, started probably three, four years ago. Someone just mentioned the name and, you know, just the sound of it, Rust. Sounded, oh, look, well, this would be something that we should check out. And uh, at that point, I just did a little tool with it and uh, it broke my brain so much that I, I, I think I did it for, for two weeks and left it for a year or two um, until uh, Bolt.com where we got the opportunity to actually work a bit with it. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm Rob and um, yeah, I've been in contact especially around the whole FTP topic uh, about this because uh, I was in that department where Peter was manager, engineer manager for off and at the time, uh, yeah, there was uh, one person uh, doing uh, Rust and very enthusiastic about it, very passionate about it. And he came came by our desk sometimes and was explaining about it. And yeah, as a system engineer, I didn't have a lot of uh, programming uh, experience, uh, at least in the in the past years. I was doing that as a hobby for 
yeah, like 20 years ago uh, doing C programming. But uh, uh, then I heard these things about Rust, which sounded interesting. And then later it came that we wanted to have some kind of Rust uh, project at Bold.com, which I uh, signed up for as well. Yeah, for me, I was I was probably also quicker to sign up for the Rust part than the actual project. So it's like, well, we can do Rust. Yes, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Not really knowing what we're getting ourselves into. Okay, so so could you give the audience a little background about Rust? What kind of language is it? Uh, when to yep. use it? Yeah. So Rust uh, came out of Mozilla. I think it started in the year 2006. There's a guy, Graydon Hall, that uh, at that point uh, worked there, and he worked on it for a couple of years. I think four years or so. He describes himself as a language. Someone's really into languages. And I think in 2010, he gave a more public talk inside of Mozilla. You can actually still download his talk or his presentation. And he sort of pitched it as a replacement for C++ in the Firefox browser. A lot of the rendering there, of course, and it being a browser is, uh, you know, it's complex and uh, security vulnerabilities are often introduced in this way. So, uh, yeah, that's how he pitched it. And in 2015, I think, it was uh, turning to V1, and today we have uh, version 1.53. So, um, and Rust, um, given that sort of angle, is you could probably consider it mostly to be a systems programming language, so it's more low-level, I guess, although the language features qu covers quite a spectrum. Um, and the Rust, uh, if you get to the Rust, is it rustlang.org? You often have the marketing pitch there, and they change it often. But uh, I always remember the the trifecta they call it: the speed, the safety, and the concurrency. It was sort of the three things um, that it shines in. Um, speed comes from, of course, that it has no runtime, no garbage collector. So in the JVM world, you would have a runtime and a garbage collector. Um, for Go, it's more lightweight. You still have a garbage collector. With Rust, um, you don't have that, but it's also not like C++, where you have to do everything manually. So uh, Rust uses uh, what, what is also known as RI in C++, resource acquisition is initialization. So when you, in C++, you could use auto pointers, right? You can set it up in the beginning of your method, and as soon as it loses scope, it's sort of auto freeze for you. Uh, with Rust, this is built into the compiler, basically. Um, safety is, is, is also a new thing because Rust uh, introduces a thing called ownership. It's a new paradigm that it brings. And the compiler then has this component called the borrow checker where it uh, will look at your code and scream at you if you do unsafe things in terms of, sort of you know, threads and putting variables where it's using mute, shared mutable state that you shouldn't and so forth. Um, which, of course, is also good for concurrency. So yeah, those are, I guess, three main things, if I can sum it up like that. There's lots of other things we can, I guess, compare it to in terms of, say, Java or so forth. No, yeah, for me, it's a little bit more difficult. Like I said, I come from this uh, background of programming in C and, and, well, of course, in terms of modern languages, I programmed in Python and such. 
but for me, Rust was kind of like an eye opener because what I really loved about programming before in C was the low level that uh, Hannes just explained, like the system programming language, and that the power that you feel from that. But it's just that it's also holding you back a lot uh, in terms if you're writing C because it's potentially a lot of uh, bugs that you can uh, introduce are, are really, uh, yeah, can be easily vul uh, vulnerabilities as well. So, um, but Rust kind of uh, puts guardrails everywhere and you feel really solid. Like, and it, it, like uh, Hannah says, like it's, it keeps screaming at you. And, and I think like, oh, this should work, right? And then it keeps screaming at you. And then until, uh, until you finally bend your mind and understand what this is telling you and, not, and then suddenly you it kind of like clicks together and then like, oh yeah, of course. That makes sense. So, so then you kind of learn in the process. And when once it does compile, then you can you feel a lot more comfortable, comfortable and confident in your code. That's at least. So I can only explain it from this experience from mine. Um, but I cannot really compare it very well to other languages. Okay, Hannes, and for you, if you, for example, would compare it to Go. Yeah, so it, it, it uses, I think the contrast is more seen actually with Java. So, but even let's take that, that one. Uh, so, for instance, um, first thing you didn't notice about uh, Rust is you have known the concept of null. In a lot of other languages you have that, and C you have that, which often causes a lot of the vulnerabilities and a lot of the pain. Um, it's immutable by default, so a lot of the functional influence there as well. So, I mean, shared mutable state is what causes difficulty with concurrency, right? So if, if a lot of stuff is immutable, then that makes it easier already. Uh, Rust has no exceptions, which I guess is then the same as, as Go. Um, but yeah, which could be strange for people coming from Java used, used to exceptions. Uh, it has no classes. It has this thing called traits, which you can think of, I guess, as a Java interface. Um, and then it then it doesn't have uh, it has interface inheritance, but it doesn't have implementation inheritance. So you can take a trait and you can extend from it, but you cannot uh, implement a, a well. It doesn't have classes, but it has structs, right? So you can't implement the struct and then inherit from that. So a lot of strangely surprising things, and you would think, oh, but is that then useful if you don't have uh, inheritance? Um, but yeah, the the I guess the the whole idea here is that you should use composition over uh, inheritance. And Rust is also very strong in, in uh, generics, so you'll see a lot of um, monomorphism instead of polymorphism. You can do polymorphism as well, but you'll see a lot of you know uh, generics code being generated for specific types. I, it, it sounds uh, really strict, and I think that's also what Rob mentioned when he uh, you have a steep learning curve uh, to get on top of it, uh, to get uh, code that really compiles and, and, and runs afterwards. But once you have it, then you're uh, really okay with it. Was that also the reason, Hannes, that, that you say you touched it a couple of weeks and then put it away one year and then picked it up again? Yeah, the concept was just really strange. I mean, you would just want to do something simple and uh, the compiler will keep you busy. And there's actually no thing in the Rust community. They, they talk about you'll, you'll pick a fight with the borrow checker. 
and uh, you'll, you'll first hate it and then you'll slowly start to love it and eventually it's a <laughs> love relationship. Because yeah, actually the compiler is very friendly. It's the most friendly messages I've, yeah. I've seen uh, in, in a compiler, but it's of course very strict. For instance, in Rust, very simple thing. So uh, again, it has this concept of ownership. So every value in Rust can have only one, be assigned to one variable, if you like. So you can say, let s equals hello world string, and then you can say y equals s. But if you want to use uh, s then after that, then the compiler is going to complain to you and say, you've moved s into variable y. Um, so you can no longer use it. Uh, so there's these very strict things, and it's all got to do with safety and uh, ability to use things concurrently. So yeah, I definitely had, I definitely had that experience as well. <laughs> Uh, can you can you give an example of something you were really struggling on, and then by the, the by the time you found out that you thought, oh, okay, it's it's that simple. Uh, there's so many examples of that that you, you try to block it out of your mind, because eh? <laughs> okay. it makes you feel stupid <laughs> for quite some time. <laughs> but it's nice yeah. for for audience to recognize it. Then they say, okay, I'm not that stupid. It's everybody's experience starting with Rust. Uh, but okay, uh, so yeah, why should software engineers um, start to learn Rust? It's, it's, it's quite a new paradigm, actually. Um, the whole ownership thing and the borrow checker, it's, it's a new concept. So I think it's just good for, for programmers to expose themselves to that. Then there's other things like it's actually the, being the most loved language on Stack Overflow's annual survey from 2016 to, to 2020. And it's also the fastest growing uh, language, it seems, uh, on the internet. Um, yeah, and for me, I always have like this tool belt, and I think I should have a language in every sort of layer, in a high-level web front-end layer, and perhaps a middle business uh, layer. But then Rust for me is, is something that you want to have in your tool belt for the low layer. So if you want to write really performance stuff, you want to write device drivers, or if you want to in those kind of operating systems, those kind of things where you would normally you see, it's good to have it in your tool belt there. And then lastly, I think you're just more marketable if you learn it a bit. Extra language, yeah. But does that also mean that if you know and, and learn how to uh, deal with this language, that you take that experience with you when working with other languages? I, I do think so, because um, I think Rust makes you think, uh, because of the compiler, it makes you think about certain things like concurrency and you are sharing state now. And also Rust being a, being a low level, tries to allocate most things on the stack. So it's very explicit when you allocate something on the heap, for instance, like in C and C++. Um, so I don't know, for me, that's good knowledge to have, even if you program in Java, because you can think it's, it's all handled for you, but uh, sometimes you, you write less uh, in, or more inefficient code because you just don't think about how it works underneath, right? So, yeah, because yeah, in other languages, sometimes it kind of like, uh, of course, you have the same problems there, but sometimes it will just implicitly copy uh, things, right? Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Hannes. Um, uh, and, but that copying is, of course, very expensive, especially if the variables are, are big or you are processing the same. Yeah, you're doing something in a loop many times. Um, and the, the funny thing with Rust is that when you try to 
to do something, you have to be explicit about uh, copying it. So you have to uh, call a clone method. Uh, and then you at, le at least know that this is going to cost something. And then you, you can apply your own brain to, is this expensive or is it uh, acceptable for this uh, particular operation that I'm doing here? But at least you will know what your, yeah, what, what effect uh, it has. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a good moment to, uh, to make uh, the move towards uh, how we use it, how we start using it in, in the environment. Yeah, and to answer that, I really want to know, did, the, this, did this problem find Rust or did Rust find this problem? So basically, were you searching for a problem <laughs> to fix the Rust? Or did you have a problem and then, ah, Rust is a solution for this. I'm really curious about that one in this case. I think the people you need to ask for that is probably not here anymore. Oh, uh, but, yeah, but I know <laughs> Rob was close. Uh, Maybe Rob exactly. Yeah, I can I can say a little bit. Well, at least what I think uh, happened there, because uh, I think it's both. Uh, uh, because I know that uh, well, I can I can say his name, of course. Uh, Kuhn Wilde was uh, the original uh, creator of this uh, library, Firetrap, uh, and he was of course in the in the well in in the team who was doing the legacy ftp before i did even and uh, of course everyone knows this is a problem like F ftp are um, servers are usually the most of them are quite quite old not really uh being developed anymore uh sometimes i think uh, the one we were using had a last patch a couple of years ago and uh that you know all these security fixes basically and I'm not exactly sure about why, but but they did think like uh, we can do this better and uh, replace this with with Rust. And I guess that's also because of his hobby, he was interested in that. Uh, but yeah, I got later involved with that, so I don't, I cannot uh, ask him right away now uh, what the reasons were. But uh, yeah. Uh, from from what I remember with uh, with my talks with him, uh, were indeed the. Uh, and the benefits from uh, from Rust uh, being this speed and, and safety uh, thing around uh, around it. So uh, uh, yeah, you ne really need that for FTP as well. So uh, that's uh, that's what I remember. Yeah. I, I remember us talking about why not use Go. It should be simpler. Um, there was <laughs> definitely there was definitely a favor for Rust. But in hindsight, I think that's actually very nice that it's been done in Rust um, yeah. because you know FTP has sort of I mean, it's old technology and some consider it insecure. And uh, if you're now going to write your own one, you, you better want to make sure that it's secure. So um, yeah. rest with, you know, coming with safety and all these these tools. Um, I think it's a good choice there, actually. Cool. So, yeah, I, I also remember that at that stage, the project was sort of uh, founded on three or it wanted to accomplish three things. It, it wanted to have a little bit of Rust experience in Bolt.com because it's, it's just a new thing and we should know about it. Uh, the other thing is we wanted to do an open source project. So that was also the one. And then, of course, the other one was we wanted to fix the uh, what was called an FTP mess at that point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can, you, can you explain what you uh, what you built so far with, with Rust for uh, for the, yeah, the replacement of FTP and going uh, to the cloud with FTP? Or FTP-like solution. Yeah, so um, we have the project basic discipline too. It's a library first, and then it's also a server. So most of the functionality actually sits in the library. 
Um, and, and the Rust Vault is called Crate. So it's available on crates.io. Anyone can go find it there and implement their own FTP server. Um, so yeah, it's it's got most of the common FTP functions that you would expect. Um, I mean, some obscure things are not implemented yet. Um, but then the whole twist about the server is that it's uh, developed for the cloud. So the name already, our name is unFTP. So and our slogan would then be when you need to FTP but you don't want to. So and if you want to unFTPize your environment basically. So. We, we don't encourage people to start new projects with FTP, but we also know that um, because of customers and legacy and all these kind of things, that oftentimes you can't get away from FTP. So what we're trying to do is at least provide an FTP interface to whoever is needing that, but then for developers running in the cloud, we give cloud-based more modern APIs. So FTP and FTP today, uh, you can configure, you can run it in your cloud environment, and it will um, dump the files that are uploaded in FTP, for instance, for, in a Google uh, bucket for you, in a Google Cloud Storage. And the developers can then just listen to notifications on the cloud storage, and then they will know a file have arrived. So they don't actually have to integrate with FTP from their applications. So, um, yeah, don't know if that covered most of it, Rob. Yeah, I think so. I, um... Uh, if you look at FTP, uh, legacy FTP software, uh, it's uh, kind of a pain to to maintain it. Uh, there is, yeah, observability, observability is very difficult. I mean, try to get metrics from it, try to look at the logging. In the beginning of the project, um, one of the things um, we did, and I, I was assigned to this task, was to investigate what what FTP features were basically used in the legacy FTP environments. And well, tr simply trying to parse those logs were, was quite kind of a pain, of, pain in the ass, if I may say that uh, word here. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> and, may. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks, uh, because the, the session IDs were not uh, were, were not unique and everything. Um, uh, but so I needed to make uh, some code that could 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 make a guess about which uh, commands were used in which session, so which log lines actually be belong to a certain session and. Yeah, and eventually I was able to analyze it, but it, it all that already shows how why we want to get rid of this. Um, and yeah, it's also not scalable, right? I mean, uh, FTP is a stateful uh, protocol at least, so uh, scaling out is usually um, if yeah you can set up failover, but uh, 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 like a, a hot standby, um, but it is not. Um, it is not growing like uh, HTTP-based uh, technologies uh, are, and but we are trying to make it m much less painful. And sometimes I feel like, because in the beginning I was very skeptical when I uh, joined the project, um, and I wanted to focus on the programming and in Rust and work with developers, which is a lot of fun. That's why uh, what I, what I was most interested in. But I didn't yet believe so much that um, how this would fit and how it would solve any problem actually for us. So, but in time I've uh, changed my mind about that and I've seen the opportunities and we kind of grew towards this idea that this is a perfect match for, that we could make this uh, something that is missing for the cloud. Uh, because yeah, running an FTP server in the cloud isn't uh, at least not a, with the, the legacy software, isn't uh, a lot of fun. But now we could, uh, you know, we could make 
modular authentication implementations um, to, to connect to any kind of authentication backend. We could directly store things in buckets. Uh, so because we are completely putting this, actually kind of owning this whole problem of FTP. So we can do everything we, we like and maybe it will not never be uh, perfect, but um, it will make uh, make it really uh, much better for for those cases where you still have to use FTP, which is uh, the slogan, what the slogan is all about, right? So, yeah. so what we have like, uh, well, we're probably going to get into that more, but we have good uh, metrics uh, implementation like Prometheus endpoints and that sort of thing to play nice and uh, yeah. Yeah, so Rob touches on a couple of things yeah, that's actually sort of features of the project. So the library itself is actually very extensible. So we have this concept of the authentication backend. So anyone using the library can implement their own authentication backend. So if they have a custom something something in their environment that they need to authenticate with, they can you know extend it in that way. We also have configurable storage backends. So we hope the community will come up with more, but currently we have a file system backend and we have a, a Google Cloud storage backend. But you could imagine that there would be a Azure storage backend and an Amazon S3 backend and things like that. Um, and we, we know of, of at least uh, two implementations of servers out there. Uh, and the, the one is actually, I think it's called Mobility House, is using our server to, to get information of their electric vehicle charging stations out in the field. So these things send information via FTP and our lib on FTP is, is being used as on the receiving side. And of course they implement their own custom storage backend and authentication things there. Yeah, and then the others would be integration uh, with Prometheus monitoring, uh, structured logging to Kibana. And uh, we also have um, we're looking into features like we actually have that uh, a proxy. Uh, what's it? Uh, HA HA proxy pro proxy protocol mode, where you could sit behind a proxy and you you basically just listen on one port and then the proxy server would would handle um, the different ports that you use for FTP. Right. Um, ah. So yeah, all sorts of features aimed at the cloud that you wouldn't find specifically in FTP servers. Yeah, so cool. So it, uh, it, uh, we started using Rust for this NFTP program. Uh, it, it well actually took a while, but now we're. Uh, it sounds like it's uh, it's uh, it's really going. Uh, you can uh, you can use it. So um, how far are we with with uh, ourselves uh, using this in in uh, in our environments? Uh, do we know? Yeah, obviously you know. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, it, it took quite a while as well. At some point, the software was ready, but then we had to write integrations into our, well, I guess we can call our own Terraform wrapper um, to get things in the cloud. So yeah. we needed to develop that and make sure that it's suitable and safe. So that's also done at this point. Um, and we're now actually busy in the phase where I think we're talking to two teams at the moment who want to use it and get it implemented in, in their OPEX. Yeah. So yeah. Part, part of the, the whole uh, project is also to allow decentralization of FTP so a team can run their own FTP server versus a centrally managed uh, server 
That's exactly. Yeah, that was one item I was uh, curious about. Uh, remembering that the, you have one huge FTP server, and if you want to uh, do something with it, you have to inform all the people on it, uh, all the the sellers. So, uh, so, and now you can you can make it more uh, focused on a specific functionality. So you're uh, really make it scalable. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the insights we have gained in in time. Well, actually, quite soon, I think uh, that. I guess the original idea was just a drop-in replacement for uh, for these uh, for the software we were running, um, and that's also what I was very skeptical about. Skeptical about, obviously, uh, you want to migrate and uh, feel feel okay with that. But uh, in time, we discovered kind of like this is a perfect match with with the cloud, where we could um, build a or create a building block that uh, well that what was just explained, right, for for teams to spin it up themselves. And we no longer see it as a replacement for everything. It's more like an alternative path for a team to take. So if they can can move their use case to something else, like directly to buckets, or maybe completely uh, like replace with an, uh, with another another kind of API, maybe a REST API, um, we are all we are, we are kind of we would maybe encourage it even uh, if if it lowers your load, if it makes things more simple. Yeah. But uh, we are anticipating uh, that there will be situations that teams cannot avoid FTP because we are dealing with uh, FTP often with file exchange with external parties. Um, and then this uh, this should be at least the next best, best thing. What, that's at least what we are uh, thinking about. Yeah. Hey, really cool. Hey, yeah, let's do some promotion as well. Uh, you, you start to open source it. Um, what are, uh, what are we trying to achieve with this and uh, what what do we want to add to the community but uh, and maybe you are, yeah you already shared some questions you have for uh, to, for the community so uh, but maybe start with the first question why did we start uh, open source it yeah i think there's always the want to you know give something back to the community that was obviously part of it um, the other nice thing about if you open source something like this is experts out there that you won't find inside your company that we just love to contribute. So obviously contribution is, is one part. And if the first third thing, I guess, is just visibility for Bulb.com. Uh, we obviously growing a lot and we're attracting uh, lots of talent. And this is just one avenue also to, to get exposure to, to people out there that you may not otherwise reach. Um, so I guess at least that's how I see it. Um, yeah. Don't know yeah. about, you, about you, Rob, again, uh, <laughs> yeah, it kind of shows uh, how cool the tech, tech community at Balticom is, right? So, I mean, I, I'm, I find it really amazing that, uh, I mean, we had hard times as well, right? Because we are learning a new language here. Uh, Rust is not the most easy, and there is, of course, also a lot of healthy skepticism from, from peers who are thinking like, oh, this will... It's it's also if you think about it, just building your own FTP server is kind of even for me sounds a little bit crazy. Um, but yeah, we did we did we did that, and um, and it, it's amazing that I haven't I haven't had any had any managers in my back telling me like, uh, well, uh, we need to see results or you will be pulled off this project. Um, not saying that. You know, we have total freedom of just uh, uh, having fun only, but uh, it does show that there's a lot of trust and, and responsibility and autonomy for uh, developers at, at Bolt.com. So that's that's really uh, 
yeah, that's amazing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that also, for me, gives the question. Eh? So if it's kind of crazy to start building your own FTP server, uh, even if you don't want to use it, eh? because that's what we're doing, what do we get in return? Eh? I heard that we, in the, in the Google Cloud, get the automatic file notifications for, for teams that are using it, that is more secure, that is uh, uh, that we can decentralize it. That, that are the points I can remember. Is it like yeah. a good summary or did I miss out on someone? Uh, well, I guess also the structured logging and the monitoring that you won't yeah. find necessary. Yeah. So you'll have your, your normal Prometheus Grafana graphs for it. And uh, I think the other part is extensibility. And of course, integration closer into, into something like Kubernetes. Uh, we have already integration like uh, into some of the authentication methods of, of Kubernetes and so forth. And we'll obviously only ex expand on that. So yeah, some some sometime down the line you might get a prepackaged ready for I don't know Google Kubernetes and one for Azure Kubernetes and so forth. So yeah, and for me, I, I would love to see uh, in the Rust community. Well, NFTP at this point is actually the further furthest down the line, um, being the most prominent FTP server implementation there. So I would want Rust to have a good FTP implementation, and that'd be lovely if that's our implementation. But then, of course, I would love users to to go there and have a shopping list of authentication backends and storage backends and notification backends, and then of course the core library as well. And then they can pick and, and choose from that and build their own custom server and ex extend on it and run it in the cloud. Okay, and and. So how far away are we from that team? I, I, so it's it's there now. Eh? People, it's it's open source, so people can access it. They can you can use it. Uh, they can extend it. People are doing merge requests uh, on it and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, starting to interact. Uh, yeah, so we've we've seen uh, interaction. I mean today, I mean for FTP server, uh, we have four thousand four hundred almost downloads on crates.io for the library itself. Um, so, and then for the other backends, a little bit less. So we've seen some downloads. We've seen stories on Reddit and so places of people you know, mentioning it, and good feedback, awesome libraries, things like that that we love to hear, of course. Um, but then we've also seen contributions on our GitLab pages, uh, people doing things from small little fixes to requesting features to a bit, bit bigger stuff. And then I've also seen projects that you wouldn't necessarily see in open source, but um, being implemented uh, by our library, like the Mobility House's um, FTP charging station implementation that I told you about. Um, so yeah, I guess, and uh, yeah, we've written some blog posts about this and seen some, some feedback on that as well. So yeah, we hope um, sometime soon we can Get some real solid implementations of backends also being shared. Yeah, cool. I think we can uh, we can add some uh, links in the show notes and uh, towards the the requests we have and uh, and the links towards the project. So uh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I um yeah there was one item that was uh, uh, one question we prepared. Did it help NFTP was featured on the week in Rust? Yeah. So Rust has this. Uh, Newsletter week this week in Rust, I think, and uh, we featured there 
two or three weeks ago. Um, so yeah, that did help. We did see a, a, a sudden couple of merge requests come in and so forth. Um, and a, a couple of GitHub stars uh, being added. And not as much as, as uh, there was some other time where someone just mentioned our slogan on uh, our slogan on uh, what's it Reddit, saying, "Oh, what a cool slo slogan!" <laughs> and then all of, all of a sudden, we just saw people uh, tagging our Git GitHub repositories. Um, so yeah, it did make an impact. I think probably a lot of things you have to do to to give it exposure. I, I, Rob, you shared that uh, you learned a lot. It was uh, you also uh, struggled during this uh, kind of side project, pet project. What, what was, what was uh, for you the the biggest challenge you were uh, dealing with? Oh yeah, there are a lot of challenges. Um, well, for me, the, the hardest is to stop, uh, stop and start. So uh, we we do this uh, project on Fridays, right? Um, and but yeah, also when we can in our free time. Um, but what I noticed is just that after, if you don't do anything during the week and you, you go to your next Friday and then you, you want to start with where you were uh, at because, uh, yeah, programming is usually not just, oh, uh, work for two hours. But yeah, so it, that took me a lot of energy just to get started again and to understand, like, what was I trying to accomplish here? And um, so I've noticed that I need more frequency than, than once a week. Uh, and that's why I'm, uh, well, at not all the time, but uh, sometimes uh, for for a couple of weeks I'm busy in the evenings. Uh, sometimes it's it makes it stops me from sleeping, and I think others uh, has similar experience yeah. uh, because it's kind of like your 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 brain is still trying to fix the problem because you're running into something, and or maybe sometimes you accomplished something or you, you kind of nailed it. And then it also uh, triggers uh, a lot of uh, things. Lots of ideas. Yeah, yeah, ideas like, oh, we can do this and we can do that. And yeah, that is. Uh, so myself and Rob has, has had some late now chats. <laughs> yeah. We're still up. Late night yeah. code reviews. <laughs> I said for you, Hannes, what was your biggest challenge? Yeah, I guess also that context, which is quite difficult to handle. Um, I mean, and it feels like, I mean, I guess the other thing is just the uh, unconventionalness of the project. Why would you want to build an FTP server? And then Rust, a language that no one knows in the company. So that thing in the back of your mind, and then the, the fact that you only do it on Fridays, can feel like, oh, it's taking so long to accomplish something. But really, if you if you add up the days, then it's only a couple of months. But I mean, we've been busy now for two years with this yeah, project. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's just a mental thing uh, yeah. to have to, to battle with a bit. Yeah, of course, Rust itself was difficult and some of the low level stuff about FTP, reading all the RFC specs and those kind of things. All, all of it challenging. Re-engineer FTP, yeah. Yeah, and Hannes is also very, uh, was very helpful to me because uh, at some point, I came up with that proxy protocol idea to to use that. Uh, well, we didn't go into that, but yeah, that's I think not enough time to explain that exactly. But um, I was, you know, I was mostly doing the the, the yeah, let's say the, the cloud building block stuff. So so sometimes I wasn't able to to put much work into the coding itself in Rust. Um, 
So I, I mentioned this idea to Hannes and said, well, I guess you have to implement that then. And I thought, like, but that's, you know, that's going to be very difficult and huge. So, but I said, like, okay, I'll take that challenge. And then I went, uh, went and do, did that. And I surprised myself that I, in a, I think in two weeks or something, I, I, I was able to uh, have a MVP of that uh, or a POC, basically. Uh, and it worked. So that was awesome. Well, nice achievement. Yeah. All right. Hey, yeah, Peter Paul, uh, famous last question from my side. Do you have questions left uh, before we go to the closing round? Uh, uh, no, I think it's 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 awesome to see uh, what what they can achieve, and it, I think also that that they found a really good case to to showcase uh, actually what Rust uh, can do if I if I hear this story, and that's that's what I really like about story, and I also like I think that. Uh, yeah, more and more companies are switching to uh, to a cloud environment. So something like this is really going to also help them if they want to do their uh, FTPing their right, as well as the integration from FTP with your app, which is way easier. And especially also if you want including uh, logging and metrics and and that whole bunch. Yeah, that's I think that's awesome to see, and that's really uh, yeah something that. Yeah, makes you proud that, that some people uh, you work with also worked on things like that and then again are helping other teams at Bold.com but also outside uh, Bold.com and I, I believe that Hannes at some point told me that one of the first other contributors outside of Bold.com were Japanese uh, guys. They think, yeah. why, we're in the Netherlands. Why Japan? But then again, yeah, it's open source. It's, it's all over the place, of course. And yeah, sometimes you tend to forget that but yeah, then... Japanese exactly. uh, people start yeah, to work that, on it. <laughs> that was a nice one because, for instance, the Japanese uh, the Japanese uh, people they were uh, pushing for changes uh, uh, that had to do with language uh, support. So that's something we never thought of. Like we, we just uh, have the, the 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 ASCII characters basically. Well, I did think we have UTF-8 support, but there were some we never thought of. You know, other characters. Yeah, character settings. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Right. I can imagine why they needed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had let's go to the closing round. Um, uh, yeah, what, what is your uh, most important takeaway uh, that you want to share? FTP server has a lot of complexity, right? So that's what I, what made me very skeptical in the beginning. Um, it's, it's quite, it's quite a, quite a thing. And it's amazing that you can just build that with Rust and uh, with confidence. It's not like I feel like we we built something and this is like brittle or anything. It feels quite solid, and I, that's really amazing. And and then keep in mind we didn't even mention that, but but uh, we are uh, doing everything async uh, async I/O, uh, which is yeah in terms of concurrency in another language would be really 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 hard to do. Uh, I I think. Uh, yeah, that's that's. Um, I think so. That's my takeaway. Rust is a really powerful uh, language, yeah. yeah, and a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess my two takeaways was you should check out Rust. It's definitely would definitely be worth your worth your time. And the other uh, thing I would like is uh, to get out there is uh, we need a lot of help still with uh, NFTP. So to the contributors out there. Um, we'd love you to see you contribute, uh, even if it's for your own 
little side pet project. Um, yeah, and we'd love to even help you with that, get you started. Okay, uh, thanks, Hannes. Yeah, maybe we should take this quote and put it uh, uh, in front of the, the episodes to start with, so that everybody uh, starts listening and know what it is about. Um, yeah, and it's really cool to hear the story that actually you're both, both saying, especially at the beginning, you were skeptical. Why are we uh, uh, reintroducing FTP? Uh, why are we starting uh, use Rust for this? But yeah, you were skeptical, but you moved into a real uh, uh, promotional team for for Rust and and this uh, and this. Uh, open source NFTP project, uh, really cool story, I think, uh, but also good to hear your uh, yeah, your challenges you were in and uh, that uh, yeah, people should be aware of when they start using Rust and uh, doing projects like this. Yeah. So thanks for, for sharing that with us and uh, yeah, hope to have you back in uh, one episode soon. Thanks yeah, for your thanks. time. Thanks for the thanks opportunity. Guys. Nice talking thanks. to you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for TechLab and subscribe. Leave a 5-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn or mail techlab at ball.com. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun! <laughs>